After college, I got a job working as a night shift custodian for my old school district. For two weeks, I worked nights cleaning up an elementary school in Malta, Illinois. The school was old and small and woefully planned out, as if by a maniac who designed subterranean bathrooms for elementary students and one random classroom on the second floor, the only room on the second floor, accessible by two opposing stairways. The school was also oppressively dark at nighttime. Even when every light was turned on, the corners of the halls never lit up fully. The shadows encroached not merely on the walls, but on my mind as well. By the end of the first night, I was quite sure that Malta Elementary, which I had taken to calling the Overlook, would be the site of my death. But what are you going to do? From shift to shift, there was either way too much work to do or way too little. When I wasn't vacuuming, taking out the trash, washing tables, I would solve complex math equations on the wall. I assume always incorrectly. And in order to drown out the subtle sounds that I was positive were ghosts whispering of my imminent demise, I would play music. In Heavy Rotation was my latest purchase, the greatest hits compilation from the alt-rock band Counting Crows. For those two weeks, I listened to Films About Ghosts, the best of Counting Crows, once or twice every night. So, 15 years later, when I announced the start of a music anthology podcast and Sean Ross pitches me on doing a Counting Crows show episode, I'm like... Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Fire and Water Records, a proud part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Ryan Daly, still alive because those ghosts didn't get me, and joining me for this episode to talk about the Counting Crows is the co-host of Secret Wars and Beyond on the Pulp to Pixel Network, Mr. Sean Ross. What is up, Sean? Hey, how's it going? Thank you so much for having me back. I think I'm the first return guest, uh, obviously, other than your brother, which uh, I'm a little surprised by because in my first stint, I brought a lot of, <laughs> shall we say, um, depression-inducing soundtrack music. And so I thought, hey, Ryan, a, a really good chance for me to reclaim my you know, my um, <laughs> reputation would be to do a, a hard rockin' band like, oh, I don't know, oh, Counting Crows. <laughs> so <laughs> so just, I'm just sticking with a the theme, I guess. But I, I'm super excited for this, man. Thanks for having me on. It could be first and last returning guest. Let's see how this goes. I mean, oh, as I as I mentioned in that intro, this episode was like a year in the, mm-hmm. in the works. Like when we we first talked about maybe doing something along these lines, um, and yeah, I, I've had that idea, and then soundtrack selections kind of jumped the gun because it was just such a more exciting idea. But I am I have been I've been listening to Counting Crows music ever since we talked about it. So I really I, I'm excited to do this episode. Um, but of all of the artists, all of the bands, anything you could have. Picked Pitched. Why did you come up with this one? What is about this band that you wanted to talk about? This is um, this is my band. Like this is, I think everybody in their life, you know, you have that music that you bond to, and and usually it's the music you discover later in high school, early college that sort of defines those years of your life. And and you know, there's a lot of great music at that time. And you know, if you would ask me in like the mid '90s what my favorite music was. 
it would have been Counting Crows and Tori Amos and, you know, uh, basically Lilith Fair plus Counting Crows. <laughs> and I would come to shock to no one who has heard me on podcast before. But anyway, it, what's what's interesting to me is I August and Everything After in particular, their first album just imprinted on me. And it spoke to everything I was feeling emotionally at the time. I was a senior in high school and had, or just gone into college. And it definitely was the soundtrack of that early part of my college life. And what's interesting for that band versus maybe some other bands that I was super into, like R.E.M. or some other bands I was really into at the time, is this band kind of grew up with me or I grew up with them. Mm-hmm. And, at, you know, they would take a few years between new albums. And August and Everything After was hugely successful their next album was successful. And then they got kind of quiet. Like their their later albums had some hits, but they were definitely not, you know, dominating mainstream music. But I loved the music they were making. And I every new album kind of with whatever shifts they made in their sound matched whatever was shifting in my life. And I it's it's the only band I've ever discovered. And some bands have gotten close, but it's the only band I've ever followed where I love every album. Mm. where every single album speaks to me. I could put any of them on at any moment. And we're talking a career. I mean, August Everything After comes out in 93, and their most recent album was 2014. So, you know, that their their career can order a beer. And so <laughs> it's really unusual for that to happen. For you know, And, and they're one of the few bands, and I, I've seen them live a ton. They're one of the few bands where if they come on and like, oh, hey, we're going to play a couple new songs – I'm actually thrilled. I'm not going like, oh, like I'm only here to see, you know, your greatest hits. And I and I just I've always loved them and they've always really spoken to me. And I think a lot of that has to do with Adam Duritz's songwriting, which we'll talk about quite a bit. But yeah, it's it's just the the one thing, one of the few things that has just lasted for me throughout the entirety of my young adult to old adult life. So so I'm super excited to talk about them because the songs we've picked are just from a, you know, cross section of their career which is, you know, also, I think, a cross-section of, of our lives. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, all right. Well, uh, for those of you listening, uh, we're going to do kind of w- what has become the sort of de facto regular format for this show uh, whenever I have a guest and we're talking about a particular artist or a certain theme. Uh, we're just going to go alternating, each throwing out a song that we like and kind of explaining what we like about it or or what personal context we can bring to the song. So, uh, Sean, it's it's your show. It's your band. Why don't you give us the first song you want to talk about? So I don't think there's any other choice, really. Um, the first song that I want to talk about for Counting Crows is Round Here. Round here We always stand up straight Round here Something radiates We came from Nashville Case in her hand, she says she'd like to meet a boy who looks like Elvis. And she walks along the edge of where the ocean meets the land, just like she's walking on a wire in a circus. She parks her car outside of my house and takes her clothes off. Says she's close to understanding Jesus, and she knows she's more than just a little. Misunderstood, she has trouble acting normal when she's nervous.
Now, this is off of August and Everything After. Like I said, it came out in 1993. It's their first album. And it's what's what's really cool about this song is, in my mind, this is there are two sort of definitive Counting Crows songs. And it's actually my first choice around here and my last choice, which we'll get to. But I, when I think of the band, when I think of, of who they are and why I love them, it's these these two songs that really encapsulate it. And Round Here in particular, I think, is the perfect example of who they are musically and lyrically. And it's like it's the intensity of the of Adam Duritz's lyrics, the, the personal nature that just have always spoken to me. And this is so cheesy to say out loud, especially as a grown man. The minute I heard this song, the, the, the minute I heard, you know, step out the front door like a ghost into the fog where no one notices the contrast of white on white. I was like, oh, this is my Bob Dylan. Like, this is my, like, seriously, like, if there were a good, like, you know, Pod Dylan's a great name. If there was, like, Duritz cast, you know, that would be me. That would be my show. And I knew in that moment, and I was an, you know, I was an English major. I was a big reader. I was a big writer, you know, comic book fan. And when you surround yourself with language, you learn to love language. And you really appreciate when it's used beautifully and used really well. And that line hooked me. The song hooked me. And I really did know, like, from that first lyric I knew I was in and and I went and bought that album and I mean, listened to it. I can't even tell you like I, I actually can speak that album verbatim front and back. I love every song on it. Uh, I saw them live perform the entire thing, which was really cool. And it's just a, it's an, an amazing piece of, of art that really spoke to me. And then one of the other things I really love about it and the last song I'm going to talk about, they do this too. But for those people who've seen them live, they're a really interesting live band because they do this kind of mashup thing, and they and they did it before Pitch Perfect. Um, this might be the second time I've talked about Pitch Perfect on your show. <laughs> <laughs> you, you you mentioned it a lot. Really weird. It's so weird. It's not like I watch it every weekend. Oh wait, never mind. Um, <laughs> so there's there's the, they do this mashup thing when you see them live, and they take some of their songs, but in particular, Round Here's one that they do this with, and they play about half the song, and then they like they pick up a song that picks up on the same bass line or drum line, and they go into like a separate song. And then they bring it back in a really cool way that that lyric where they say, uh, but there's a girl in the car in the parking lot says, man, you should try and take a shot. That's where they always come back. And it's just such a cool experience because you actually never know what song they're going to mix in with it. They change it (laughs) every tour. They actually change it. I've seen them twice on the same tour and they've changed the song in between. And so for me, it's just this perfect encapsulation of like the poetry of Duritz's lyrics, the like stripped down acoustic kind of beauty of their music and then kind of what they do live. So, so yeah, this was, I didn't, there was just no other choice. And then also, honestly, people kind of forget, but this is a song that broke them. Mm -hmm. Everybody, I mean, Mr. Jones was the first single first, you know, MTV video, but it was not getting a ton of traction. In fact, uh, I remember hearing that song and liking it, but a lot of people I was friends with were like, I hate this song. It's the stupidest (laughs) song I've ever heard. And then they did round here on Saturday night live and they did it as the first song. Even though SNL wanted them to do Mr. Jones, they're like, no, 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 we're going to do Round Here. And their album like jumped from like 200 on Billboard all the way up to number two over the course of the next few weeks. So so this is actually the song that I think really helped break them, too. So it's, you know, it's a natural choice. Uh, what about you? Is this a song that you are sort of attached to? Yeah, I, I like it. I, I, I wanted to ask uh, for clarification during the performances when they do kind of mash up or they integrate another song with this one. Is it another one of their songs or is it usually like a cover of like another like our band or artists like rock or, or folk song or something like that that they do? 
It's a mix. Most times I've seen them, it's another song. It's a cover song. Mm-hmm. But they do – sometimes they'll do um, Perfect Blue Building. Okay. Uh, Perfect Blue Building, excuse me, or Sullivan Street from August and Everything After. Sometimes they'll mix that in as the mashup, which I love because those are songs you don't hear live otherwise. Mm-hmm. But no, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mix. Normally it's, it's something – uh, it's a cover though, and it's and there's the the range of the covers are really cool. I mean, they do really modern stuff, older '70s kind of folksy stuff. It's pretty neat. Cool, cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, sort of getting to this, where I first discovered the uh, Count of Crows was through MTV and the video from Mr. Jones, and it left an impression, but probably like your friends, like not necessarily the impression they wanted to, because I thought it was kind of a, it was a. F- fun kind of song but also a little bit silly yeah and my impression of adam duritz himself as he's sort of doing this like full body seizure dry heave kind of <laughs> like motion through the video like he's, he's like his whole body's just like shaking and he's got these dreads and and my 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 experience up to that point was a white person with dreadlocks kind of indicated a lot of poor decision making <laughs> So, so, I don't think that's changed. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was like, okay. I was like, this is a catchy song, but it's kind of silly. I didn't really pay it any mind. Then I heard this one as the, as their second single, uh, as a drastic departure. And this like this song like made me think, you know what? This band can actually be serious. This has a darker and, and a somber tone. And this one made me interested in the album. I didn't buy the album, but a friend of mine had it, and I listened to it. And it was because of this song that kind of made made me give them a second look when I wouldn't have because of Mr. Jones. Um, and you you talked about like the line that kind of jumped out to me. It was always, uh, I, I think it's the end of the second verse. I think when he said uh, he's he's describing the girl, and he says, and she knows that she's just she's more than just a little misunderstood. She has trouble acting normal when she's nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, just a sort of like honesty uh, and descriptive of that i was like oh that's i understand that line i was like that, i was like oh girls can feel that way I was like, <laughs> I was like, okay okay i was like i was like yeah that 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 line like really just struck a chord with me so yeah i i've always i liked the song a lot and it was definitely part of it was the fact that i would have dismissed them yeah uh, based on mr jones i think it's it's not a bad song it's catchy and it's kind of fun and silly um, but it, I wouldn't have given, I wouldn't have attached much substance to the band based on that one until I heard this one. And I was like, oh, okay, let me check this out a little bit. Yeah. And I think that was the experience for a lot of people. Like you said, Mr. Jones is a fun kind of silly song and they have that in them. In fact, every album has a Mr. Jones-esque kind of little romp mm-hmm. of a song. And I like that about them. And I like that about, especially when you see them live, it, it breaks up the tempo a little bit. And, it, and I think those moments are fun. But I do think there was a, a whole swath of people who saw the Mr. Jones video. I remember my friend said to me, we were watching the video, and he goes, that dude looks like every girl I've ever dated who makes her own soap. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, actually, kind of. Um, and so, so you know, it, it just – it didn't – I don't think, you know, gave the, the perfect impression of them. And definitely no one heard Mr. Jones and went, oh, that's my Bob Dylan. Right, but right. The, the one-two punch of those two are amazing. And then for people who – who are not maybe as into them or who are kind of getting into them maybe because of the show or going back to them. So Adam Duritz was in a band before Counting Crows called the Himalayans. And you can still find, you go on YouTube, you put in Himalayans round here. He actually wrote that song when he was with that band. And it is a much more sort of rock driven song. It's like a great driving bass line, really pronounced guitar. So if you want to hear sort of a rockier version of it with his vocals, 
it's a really cool experience to hear that. And, and in fact, honestly, sometimes I prefer that version, but it also is probably just because I've heard the other one a million times. But yeah, I, I would check it out. So it's the Himalayans and it's around here. And it's a really cool, again, kind of early 90s, Joy Division kind of sounding, rockier version of that song. It's pretty great. All right. Well, that takes us directly following around here to my first pick, which is the song Omaha. Start tearing the old man down, run past the heather and down to the old road. Start turning the grain into the ground, roll a new leaf over. In the middle of the night, there's an old man shredding around in the gathering rain. Hey, mister, if you're going to walk on water, oh, could you drop a line my way? Omaha, somewhere in And this song was also from the album August and Everything After. In fact, it is the second track. It is the song that comes right after Round Here. Uh, and I mentioned that Round Here was the song that made me give that album a listen. I borrowed it from my friend. This was the first song that I really liked. This song jumped out at me when I heard the second track. I was like, ah, there's something about this. I just, I really liked the hook or the beat to it. I just, it, there was a feel about this song. And as I listened, as I kind of immersed myself in it, and, and I think part of it was because I was a Midwestern kid. I was growing up in, you know, uh, in Illinois cornfield town. Um, and it, Omaha, Nebraska was not that far away. But to me, just like the way he, the way he would reference it, the way he, he in, encapsulated the, the, the location felt more like Chinatown <laughs> in that he wasn't really evoking a specific place. It yeah. was more like the state of being, the state of mind. But it, 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 it just, it struck this home with me. I was like, he's, I was like, this isn't, uh, this isn't a song who's talking about, you know, like, you know, surf rock, you know, city or something like that, like <laughs> living on the coast or being in New York or some ghettos or something. It's like Omaha, freaking Omaha. Really? <laughs> I was like, I, I can, I, okay, I know some of that. Um, so there was just something about that that I, I really gravitated to the song. And I also just like melodically, I really, really like the song. Um, and then uh, a postscript to it was uh, in college, I went to the University of Iowa, uh, and one of my roommates, uh, my last couple of years there, actually, his family ended up moving to Omaha, Nebraska, and we played this song for him as his send-off when he was moving away. <laughs> That's so. awesome. Yeah, I, I love this song, too. And you know what's funny? I mean, there weren't a lot of songs with accordions on the radio <laughs> in the early 90s. I mean, other than Weird Al. It was kind of Weird Al and, and Counting Crows on that corner. Un unfortunately, that is true. Yeah. <laughs> and the, but this song, the, the beauty of the opening chords on the accordion, mm -hmm. like you can't escape that. The minute you hear it, you know it's this song. And uh, yeah, I love it, too. And and it's funny. Um, there's a You read an interview with him. So when this song, when this album hit, they were out on tour and they actually were heading towards a, a tour date in Omaha and the, the Omaha city council got all excited about the song and about them coming. And so they actually did like a, a counting crows day and they were going <laughs> to, they were going to give Adam Duritz like the key to the city. I didn't know this stuff actually happened outside of Powerpuff Girl episodes, but they, they were going to give him the key to the city. 
And he tells a really funny story about how like he they he didn't know they were famous yet. Like he didn't realize how the album was hitting because they were just out on tour and yeah. the tour the audiences were coming to see the Cranberries, who were the big act, not them. And so he's like, he went to Target that morning in Omaha just to pick up some stuff and it got like mobbed. And so when he was supposed to go get to the key to the city, he bailed. He didn't do it. He freaked out, which we'll talk a little bit later. He has some mental um, issues that, mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know, he wasn't just being a jerk rock star, like some other things, you know, contributed to this, but it's really funny. So he's like, he's like, I just feel bad. Every time I go back, I apologize to the crowd because I was supposed to get the key to the city and I bailed like a jerk. He's like, you know, so I just feel really horrible about that, but it cracks me up. And I love the song too. I think, um, you know, again, it's it's like a it almost reminds me of like a, a great like 70s Bruce Springsteen song, you know, or um, uh, Robbie Robertson or like, you know, those kind of those kind of songwriters that you just you only get maybe once a generation. Yeah. And this yeah. is yeah, this is a song I don't think any other band could have pulled off. So I think it's great, too. All right. What do you got next? So up next for me is uh, I go to their second album, Recovering the Satellites, which came out in 96 and. Um, my, my song choice will not reflect this, but it was a, a much harder album, much kind of rocker album because they wanted to get away a little bit from the acoustic sound of covering the satellites. But this song is, I think the most beautiful song in the album and it's good night, Elizabeth. I was wasted in the afternoon. Waiting on the train. I woke up in peace. love about this song is i love a good heartbreak on the road song mm-hmm. you know uh, journey's got some really good ones and bob seeger of course has like great you know the love can't live on the road with the rock star songs and i just think this is such a sweet one because it's, it's actually it's not him being angry that he and, and elizabeth are not working out like this like the, the opening line is like he wakes up and she's disappeared again He's like, he's like, I'm wasted in the afternoon uh, on a train. I wake up and Elizabeth disappeared again. And it's like, okay, that's interesting because he's kind of owning up to the fact that he's wasted and he says he's in pieces and that she, you know, is gone. And it's, you, you think it might be that, you know, either a really heartbreaking song or maybe an angry song or like kind of a lamentation. And there's a little bit of that, but I just, I love the sweetness of the, of the chorus where he's like, I just want to say good night, good night, Elizabeth, good night. And this is one of my favorite songs live because the crowd really picks up the good night, good night, Elizabeth, good night. And it's so sweet. It's, and it, it accentuates kind of the, the bittersweetness of that moment. And I get kind of chills. It's actually one of my favorite songs to see them do live, even though it's a quieter song. Mm-hmm. And then he tells a really good story about it where this is a real person. Like he he knew this girl, Elizabeth, in college in Berkeley, and they were just friends and they were really good friends. 
And he goes off to tour for August and everything after, and they blow up, right? And he comes back, and he's suddenly famous, and he's freaking out. So he's kind of surrounding himself with people who know him and you know knew him before fame, and she's one of them. And they kind of start a little bit of a romance, and then he goes off on the road for recovering the satellites. And he's and the song is pretty autobiographical. Like at one point, he's like, "I'll wait for you in Baton Rouge, um, you know, I'll wait for you in New Orleans." But then really quickly follows it up with like, "But I'm going to be sleeping with somebody at that point." Like. There's going to be somebody in the room with me. Like, I don't wait alone. Hmm. And so there's this interesting dynamic of like, he misses her and he loves her, but he's also who he is. And he's kind of, you know, he knows that that's damaging. So I just, I don't know. I think it's a really good, like on the road breakup song. It's just been, it's one of my favorites off that album, even though that album is very much more guitar driven, much more sonic in its scope. It's a nice little quiet moment. And it's definitely not the famous quiet song from that album. And we'll talk about that later. But it's, <laughs> it's one I love. Is this a song that, that you liked at all? Or is this one you're familiar with? Yeah, I I remember hearing it. And I just, I've always just thought it was very, it was a very pretty and very moving song. Um, it wasn't something that I picked up on until later, like just like the, within the last year, listening to it more often. For some reason, like the, the, something about the very end of the song, always almost made me do like the the audio version of a of a double take or like a spit take almost, because the final lines of the song, he's when, he, when he's saying good night, he says you just settled down into bones, mm-hmm. and for some reason I always hear it when I'm not thinking about it. I always hear you just settle down to bone, as in to have sex. Oh, and every time I hear it, I'm like, wait, what the? I'm like, like, I just do this total like WTF, like, wait, what? Like, what a weird discordant line for that song. What is that? Where's it going? And I was like, oh yeah, you idiot. I'm mishearing the line. It's not. That's not what he's saying. But that's exactly how it sounds to me. It sounds like he's saying you just settle down to bone. I'm like, what? It's like that is not the line, but that's what I hear it. And every time, like, I'm listening, I was like, this is such a sweet, pretty song, and it's very moving and tender. And then why the hell did he say that at the very end? It's just, sorry. <laughs> awesome. Sorry. So, I, I, I don't know that I'll be able to hear this song the same way again. Oh, hopefully it didn't ruin it for you. hits me emotionally because you know, he says, uh, um, I'm all alone. You ain't coming home. You settle down, down, down into bone. Meaning like you know, our relationship's dead. It's, it's buried. It's, it's in my bones, but it's gone. It's over. And now I'm going to be like down, down to bone. <laughs> That's just I, you might have just ruined my favorite song, right? Hopefully not, but I've done it before. That's really <laughs> funny. That's uh, that's awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, what's your next song? All right. So my next one, uh, we're skipping ahead to a new album from the 1999 album This Desert Life. This is the song Hanging Around. One word. Watching TV, 
So I remember watching this video um, and liking the song so much because it didn't sound like any of the Counting Crows songs that I'd heard before. Uh, and it just like it was very different sound, very cool, uh, kind of up-tempo but chilling as well. And this actually made me go out and buy the album This Desert Life. I think I got it at Best Buy. And I was listening to the album in the car and I think the third or fourth track started to skip. Oh. And I pulled the CD out and I realized that the the out the disc was damaged. And I took it back and for whatever reason I did not exchange it for another one. I just returned it and got a refund or, or credit or money back or something like that. So I had this album for 20 minutes or maybe half an hour or something like that uh and then never um but i really i remember really really liking this song and then once i got into once i started downloading music uh this was one of one of the first songs that i started downloading and when i was making like mix cds or mix playlists based on downloads this song was always in really heavy rotation like i would if i was making a mix for a friend or something like that i would put this on it uh, just because I just I really dug the sound, like the guitar use in this one. It's this thick, mm-hmm. dirty, but sort of like a twangy southern guitar sound, but just like extra, <laughs> like 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 an extra <laughs> dose of it or something because of just like how heavy it feels. Um, and then there's an acoustic break in the middle of it that I really really dig. And ultimately, I mean, it's a funny, it's a silly little song about getting high and not having much direction in, in your <laughs> life and and kind of letting things slip by while you're just. I mean, the, the line is like when she uh, she says, "Last night I had some so good." Uh, or yeah, I don't even remember like what line now, but yeah, it's just like about like just drug use and just wasting life, wasting life away. While it, I just I thought it was kind of a funny song. Yeah, I, I was glad you chose this song because um, this Desert Life, their third album, is from it's my favorite album of theirs. Like I I love August Everything After more than anything because it's it imprinted on me. But this is actually I think their best album because it's the album I think where they really put their sound together. Uh, and this song encapsulates it because it's it's kind of the Mr. Jones of this album, right? Yes, it's a yeah. silly song. It was the first single off the album, but it has the it has the like melodic quality of Mr. Jones, the playfulness of it, but it has that hard driving guitar of recovering the satellite. So it's got the rock piece, it's got the the you know lyric piece, but then you're right, it, it veers into this like rock rockabilly kind of country twang side, mm-hmm. and that's actually a side of them I love. It's it's one of the reasons I love this album so much is because that that sound is very present on this album, and and I love. Um, there are a lot of songs on this album that would never be hits, like they're not great singles, but they're really well constructed, beautifully written songs. In fact, I had a real trouble. Be, um, in fact, if you hadn't selected two songs from this album, I would have gone a different direction on my selections because I love this album so much. <laughs> but I was going to pick like uh, Amy Hit the Atmosphere is a great song or I was going to pick I Wish I Was a Girl, but I couldn't take the David Ace Gutierrez tweets that would follow that choice. Um, I knew <laughs> I knew what I would be setting myself up for on Twitter. And so uh, I went a different direction. But that yeah, that's a great song. It's a fun. It is just a fun like man, we're in our early twenties and just, you know, doing a lot of drugs and going to see bands and sleeping all day, crashing on people's couches. And it's just cool. Like, you know, and there's a little bit of the counting crows lament in it where he's like, you know, I got to get out of this town. Um, he's like, but I'm stuck so tight weighed by the chains that keep me hanging around, but he doesn't sing it in a sad way. 
it's like a really up-tempo, fun, silly way. So he's like, yeah, you're not so much stuck as you're just having a really good time being young and stupid and you're just going to enjoy it. And I, I love that, actually. I miss that because I, you know, you, just, you only get that time in your life once. Right. And I think this song really captures it. Yeah, it's not it's not the regret of wasted life. It's more or less the acceptance. It's like, yeah, well, you know, what else are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> All right, where do we go from here? So I'm going to their next album, actually, uh, Hard Candy in 2002. And my next song is Up All Night. So this is a, another interesting album. I love this album, but it actually has two of my least favorite Counting Crow songs. In fact, it has two songs I don't listen to, which is really hmm. rare. I, I, this is, the again, the rare band where I love every album, and I love 98% of their catalog. But there's American Girls, which is the first single off this album, which I think is a terrible song, and I think was a really bad single for them. <laughs> Because it, it kind of said to radio, like, well, they haven't really changed, and they're more pop than anything. <laughs> and they, that's the one song that I always skipped on the Greatest Hits album. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, see? <laughs> Perfect. There you go. Like I mine, never liked man. that song. It's a, it's, a, it's a poorly written song. There's some really bad lyrics in it. It just – it sounds mailed in. It sounds – it's just it's – re- it's a really bad song. And it's and again, this is my favorite band, and there are only two songs in their catalog I skip, and it's that one, and then it's Butterfly in Reverse on this album as well, uh, which is a, a duet with Ryan Adams, and I just can't stand it, uh, even though I like Ryan Adams' uh, yeah, music. Yeah, and so anyway, it's funny because I always I always have that moment with this album because American Girls is the first song, it's also the first single, where I'm like, oh, you know, yeah, that album, and then I start looking at the rest of the songs, and I love it. Like if you took American Girls, and you took off, and there's and Big Yellow Taxi, their cover of that's on here, which is also not my favorite thing. If you stripped those two off of it, this this might be my favorite Counting Crows album because there's so many good songs, and this one in particular. So, um, one of the things I love about Duritz's writing, he can capture moments, he can capture emotional moments, and he can capture sort of developmental moments, either in a life or in a relationship that I I just I don't hear other people capturing in the way he does. Like it's. He puts his finger on something and you're like, oh, my God, that's exactly what that's like. And for me, this song is the exhaustion song. It's the not the like I'm so tired I could scream or I'm so tired I want to break down. It's the I'm so tired that nothing feels real. And there's like a weird freedom in that. Like he like the like the course is like I've been up all night. I might sleep all day. Get your dreams just right and then let them slip away. 
And it's this, it's that weird, I don't know, every time I hear this song, I think about like, and, and when I was listening to this song, I was in my second year of teaching and my wife and I were buying our first house and we were very recently married and, you know, just every, all those life things coming together. And there were days where like I was up till, you know, two in the morning grading and I had to somehow get up and teach high schoolers the next day. And, and instead of like, I was, you know, I've been up all night and like crying and breaking down and throwing a fit. I love the impulse of the song, which is like, you know what, whatever, like I'm at the point of, of exhaustion, both with my day, maybe even with my life that it's all good. Like who, I'm just going to let it all go. And so it's a really, it's an interesting song. I don't think I've ever heard captured before. And I really love it. I don't know. Is, is this a song that you've liked? Is this an album that you liked? I I had not heard this song until you put it on your list. Oh, cool. um, So I've only listened to it a few times. Uh, I, I like the song a lot. Um, it, I I don't have that connection. I, so I don't really have much much to speak on this particular song. Um, I, other than just I, I enjoy it and and yeah, the, the connection that you made with it is really really cool. But yeah, I don't have much to add for this one. Yeah, and this is a, I would I would actually really recommend to people. This is a this, again this is an album. If you skip American Girls, you skip the first song. <laughs> there are just some amazing songs. In fact, one of your choices coming up is from this, and mm-hmm. and they're great songs. And this song especially plays really well live. Um, you know, you imagine the whole crowd singing like "I've been up all night," and, and it's you know it's really it's a it's a good kind of rock song, like a good you know not not so much in its in its musicality, but it's a good like you know hey you know live till the to the edge. And then when you're at the edge, like instead of collapsing, just be like, whatever, nothing can hurt me here because I, you know, I'm fully exhausted and done. So I don't know. It's a cool song. It's a fun song. Uh, what's your next choice? All right, my next song. We're going back to the album "This Desert Life" uh, for the next track on that one, which is Mrs. Potter's Lullaby. I am an idiot walking a tightrope of fortune and fame. Back, swinging trapezes through circles of flame. If you've never stared off into the distance, then your life is a shame. And though I'll never forget your face, sometimes I can't remember my name. Potter, don't cry. Hey, Mrs. Potter, I know why, but hey, Mrs. Potter, won't you talk to me? All right, I know that I must have heard the song briefly when I owned that album for you know all of sixteen minutes, <laughs> um, but I didn't really remember it. didn't It didn't leave an impression on me then until I got the Greatest Hits collection, uh, and this was on that because this was the album was from ninety nine. The single was released in two thousand. Uh, the title for the Greatest Hits albums, films about ghosts, mm-hmm. actually comes from a lyric in this song, um, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about it, but. I just looked this up. I was like, just wondering if there was more more information about the song. So this is what I found on Wikipedia, and this is one of those weird stories that could very well be made up, <laughs> but maybe it's kind of weird enough that it could be true. Anyway, this is the story that they that they you can find on the Wikipedia entry. Um, 
the song, the Mrs. Potter reference in the title of the song, is about the actress Monica Potter from the movie Con Air and other things. Uh, apparently, Duritz liked her, kind of wrote the song at a time when he didn't know her, but eventually he did meet her through like a mutual friend. And then he took her to the studio when they were recording the song. And after the recording session, he gave her a tape uh, with like the recording session. Later on, as they were recording the album, there was some sort of production problem. Somehow, the tracks that they had were all that ruined the song. Like the masters for the, this track were ruined, so he kind of told her they wouldn't be able to put it on the album. But she gave him back the clean copy that she had from when he went to the studio with her to record it, and she kind of salvaged the song for him. And that the version that she had is what basically made the album. I have no idea if any of that is true. It's, it's weird. It might be made up, but it kind of sounds cool. So I'm choosing to believe it because <laughs> why would Wikipedia lie? Well, I read I read the same story from multiple okay. sources, and and he does it. He does admit he dated Monica Potter. Yeah, and so he you know he does admit the songs about her. So yeah, actually I heard a, a, the same version of that story multiple times. So I think it's a really cool story behind the song. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in terms of the song. I really, really like it. It might be my favorite Counting Crows song. It is definitely in my top three. Uh, and the other two songs that I talk about will be the other two, will be the others in the top three. <laughs> um, it's a very catchy tune. I love the melody. It's kind of a weirdly orchestrated song. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you kind of mentioned that, like, you know, Dirt's might be your Bob Dylan. This, in a way, reminds me sort of of a Bob Dylan song in the structure and the musicality because the melody doesn't really change like there's no change to the chord progression i think from from even from verse to chorus um there's not really much of a bridge i don't think there is a part where it, like the some of the instruments drop out but i don't think the the melody or like the the drum track kind of even changes but i i could be wrong about that it just feels like the music starts and doesn't stop it's like the same progression over and over for three kind of long lengthy and wordy verses um the lyrics are whimsical and sort of stream of conscience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what really kind of reminded me of the Bob Dylan sense of it is like the imagery that he paints that you can almost see, but there's just something a little bit off kilter about it, like the perspective. Um, so from like one of the verses, he's, he says, the lines are, there's a piece of Maria in every song that I sing. And the price of the memory is the memory of the sorrow it brings. And there is always one last light to turn out and one last bell to ring. And the last one out of the circus has to lock up everything or the elephants will get out and forget to remember what you said. And the ghosts of the tilt a world will <laughs> linger inside of your head. And the Ferris wheel junkies will spin there forever instead. And when I see you, a blanket of stars covers me in my bed. And I just, whoa, <laughs> just like, the, like mm-hmm. where he's going with that. And the, like the imagery, and the, the pictures, I'm like, yeah, there is definitely a, 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 a muse to him that is, that is bringing something out that is very interesting. And, and uh, I, Dylan-esque perhaps. And I like it a lot. Yeah. And I think that's a great, I, I mean, I really do think it's a great comparison. I love the way you said that, that there's like, you're, you're almost there with him in the imagery and there's just that little piece that's missing. And I, and actually that's the thing I love about this song. And it's something I later discovered is, is what I've always really loved about their music. And I didn't know this cause he didn't kind of talk about it until a little bit later, but he has something called depersonalization disorder. Mm. So it makes a person feel like they're outside of their physical body. Like they're observing their life from a distance 
And people who have this have trouble making personal connections or, or maintaining them. Like, like, like in Good Night Elizabeth, like when he's with her, they're very connected. But when they're apart, suddenly he can't really remember all of the things holding them together. Right. And for a, like a lot of his early lyrics, you can see him like self-punishing for that. Like even in Good Night Elizabeth, like, you know, t- like thinking he's just not a very good guy or he's somebody people should stay away from. And this was right around when I when I read stuff about him, right around where he was starting to figure out that it was more than just a personality trait, that there was there was actually something legitimately going on. And that's the thing I love about this song, because, you know, when he says if dreams are like movies, then memories are films about ghosts. I never know anyone at the party and I'm always the host. And for me, that's like such a great description of that disorder. Now, I don't have this disorder, so I shouldn't you know, speak to it personally, but I'm somebody who's really wrestled with depression and anxiety my whole life. And, and there's an element of depression in particular that has this disassociative quality at times. And I've been that person where I'm like in a room of people who are there for me for some reason. And I feel like the balloon floating above observing and not connecting. And then later on, you kind of punish yourself for that. Like, oh, you know, you're, you know, you didn't appreciate things or, and you kind of don't understand how to navigate that. So I really connected to it in in that way. But the thing I think is so cool about it. And the thing I love about his music is when he dips into this. And again, even before he knew what it was, when he dips into that, like depersonalization part where he talks about like not maintaining relationships or moving away from them or, you know, not being able to hold on to these things that are that he loves or these things that are beautiful. He still tries to find love. Like later on in the song, he's like, hey, Mrs. Potter, like I don't have much. And I'm kind of I spent the whole song telling you how screwed up I am. Like I spent the whole song <laughs> describing my brain as a circus and describing, you know, memories as ghosts and telling you that I really struggle with all the things that make a relationship work. But hey, Mrs. Potter, will you talk to me? And I love that. I love that impulse. I love this like little little string of health in this song. This little string of like, look, I'm messed up. I you know I, I have all these things against why this would work, but I'm still gonna try. To, I'm still gonna ask you sweetly if you'll talk to me. And I don't know. I love that about it. I think there's a sweetness in this album and yeah. in this in this song because hanging around has it too. I think there's a sweetness of a, of a guy growing up a bit and and realizing like maybe it's not about the allure of self-punishment or maybe it's not the allure of, of you know, this being this kind of emotional rock star. Maybe it's just the ability to say, hey, I'm a little bit jacked up, but will you come talk to me because I think you're really cool. And I, I don't know. So I love this song. I was so excited when you picked it. Um, I've been listening to it nonstop because it, it also has a super catchy boogie woogie piano piece that i love (laughs) that just gets in your head and it's great yeah yeah all right take us to the next song so i am i'm screwing things up in a little bit i've kind of been going chronologically here uh, but i'm jumping to their most recent album and i'm going to end on something a little earlier and so my fourth song is from their album something under somewhere under wonderland excuse me from 2014 and it is the opening track palisades park I got starry eye on a coaster ride And this is man, I need a break from the world outside And these days my life just careens Through a pinball machine, I could do so much better But I can't get off the tilt There's a photograph on the TV, black and white And this is something to you Jack Johnson straddling Reno, Nevada Like she says I forget myself sometimes too I'll pass the doorway where we are sleeping 
Well, the white queen's creeping, the tomcat's peeping. Now I'm not breaking, change just shaking. Now, I chose this song in a lot of uh, – for a number of reasons. One, you flat out stole the song from this album that I wanted to use. <laughs> we'll come to that next. <laughs> yeah, we will. And you, you, were, you were unapologetic about it, but it's okay. Um, <laughs> but this is a great song. So this is funny when I – you know, when, in the beginning when you were like, hey, what do you love about Counting Crows? When I was talking about growing up with them, growing up with their music – so they had not had a, an album of original music since I think 2008 or 2009, and they took a long break. They did a, an album of covers in between, which is actually fantastic. There's a couple not great ones on it, but there's some real gems in there. But they had just had not done original music in like five years, almost six years. And I thought they were maybe done as a band. I was like, okay, you know, we're entering the uh, iPad, uh, you know, sort of, sort of single download era of music. Like, I, you know, the, somebody described it to me once. I'm sure everybody's heard this, but like we went from a generation that listens to one song a thousand times to a generation that listens to a thousand songs one time. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, okay, that transition happened. So maybe a band like this just can't exist anymore. A band, you know, like about writing and about lyrics and you know the a band that doesn't have maybe singles but has great music you know maybe that's just it maybe they're done mm-hmm. and so when this album came out i was thrilled but i was worried because some of those other bands i loved you know back in the day who i was, was growing up with they had a fall off album you know they had an album where i was like well okay it's over like i'm done i'm not buying their music automatically anymore this is really bad and i was worried that this was going to be that album for them and I and I put it on and and or it's the CD and and Palisades Park is the first song, and it is so unlike any other Counting Crows song ever. Like for, it opens with like a tr- beautiful trumpet solo, which is weird, and then it goes into this like long progressive. I think it's an eight minute song, and it has nothing to do with Adam Durance. It's not about him and love. And you know, for you know twenty something years, I've been following this band, and I've been super into these deeply personal lyrics that ring really resonant to me. And for the first time, and not maybe not the first time, but like for the first time on an album, he's writing stories. He's not writing his autobiography and he's taking a chance with like characters and personas. And and this song is not about him. It's about these two friends kind of growing up at Palisades Park and then going very different directions and losing track of each other in, in a kind of a dark way for one of them. And it's so it's so powerful. It's and it's such an, a sign of their progression as a band. There's still deeply personal songs on this album, and you're going to get to one. But they're they're also branching out into some other stuff in their sound. And again, where other bands have done that, I've lost the thread, and I've been like, okay, my run with you is done. I'll, I'll always listen to your old stuff. But I was so enamored of this song in particular and the rest of the stuff on this album that I'm excited about where they're going. And I'm excited about this progression. You know, I'm excited about the the new sort of sound that's coming from them. And I, I'm hopeful that there's another album coming because this was six years ago. And, you know, I'm like, OK, guys, you know, let's let's see what's next. It would be really great. But it still has those great lyrics, too. Like like my favorite lyric from this song 
is it's really up tempo, really up tempo. And then they drop the tempo a bit. And then he says, it's a long life full of long nights. And it's not what I was waiting for, Yeah, which is a perfect counting crows line right? <laughs> about regret and life. And so they're still there in the song, but it's, it's very different for them. And, and I'm excited by kind of where this album went lyrically and musically. Uh, what about you? Is this, did, did you like this song? I did. I, I, and that same line kind of jumped out at me. Um, and this was another, I had not heard this song until you put it on the list. Uh, so I haven't heard this whole album yet. I haven't gotten around, but based on the, the, the fact that we've got the first and last song on the album, uh, <laughs> when, when I have the time, whenever I have the time, I will definitely give the whole album a shot. Uh, cause I like this. Um, I, I cannot, I've, I've been racking my brains. The chorus of this song reminds me of something else, and I can't figure out what it is. I cannot place it. The chorus of the song reminds me of another song, and it's been driving me crazy because I can't think of what it is. But and I'm sure I'm not gonna. It's not gonna dawn on me like right now <laughs> as I'm as I'm talking about it. But that's that's all I can say. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like this one a lot too. Yeah, and it's it's just it's another like you know great just some great lyric moments, and I like that the lyrics aren't about him. Like at one point he says. Um, like I lost track of you. He's like, um, uh, lovely is like angel dust. Lovely sometimes changes us. And you're like, oh, okay. Well, that's a really interesting line about drug use. Mm. And, and so I'm, I'm so excited by the fact that he's still there sort of lyrically. And yet as a band, they're pushing themselves musically. And then I'll tell you again, I've seen them live a bunch. This song kills live. So even if somebody who heard it was like, oh, I'm not a huge fan it is a, it's a, I mean, just brings the crowd down. In fact, I think for a couple of tours, it's the song they close with in their encore. And oh, it's just awesome. Yeah, it's great. But it's not my favorite song in this album. <laughs> that would be the one I think you're about to talk about. Yes, it is. Um, and, and getting back to it, because we've mentioned it several times. Um, when we first talked about this so long ago, eons ago, um, and you mentioned kind of cross, I was like, yeah, I was like, I could probably come up with maybe three or four songs that I really like that I could, that I would have something to say about, but I don't know if there are as many as five songs that I can really have, like can really see, talk about with any kind of like meat. And you gave me a list of like 10 songs. (laughs) So I started listening to those and I hadn't heard this song, but once I heard it, I was like, that's mine. I'm stealing it. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I can talk about this one. Uh, And that is the last song from somewhere under wonderland possibility days. It was a call at 3 a.m. at JFK I guess you stayed cause you wanted to stay And we went from zero to everything All in a day and then Kennedy took you away I thought of a short robe that was keeping you warm And the moments that make up your life till you wake up You sit on a swing in the dark with a girl She tells you she wanted to kiss you And you know the worst part of a good day Is hearing yourself say goodbye to one more possibility day It goes on and on This song, I mean, I was kind of digging it at first. It it opens with this little piano intro and then stops kind of in the middle of the first verse. And this acoustic guitar kicks in and it starts to build for the second part of that verse. And it feels like there's this tonal shift in the song that just draws my attention and made me kind of focus 
Um, cause I was, you know, listening to all these songs and they, they kind of came in like waves and what else. And this one, just something about the, the, that change in the sound pulled me in. And I, I listened to the lyrics and I just found myself concentrating and the whole premise of this song, there are those days that you can't get back that you regret because of choices that you made. And sometimes it is this stupidest choice. Sometimes it is a, as simple as a miscommunication, a missed word. And why don't you just explain yourself? Why don't you just apologize or something like that? And you can't get those days back. But what if you could? It's like that what if possibility days. And this, the part of this song that just knocked me flat. And I was like, I'm, I'm talking about this one. Um, it's the end of the song when he says, I said, good night. Goodbye. It seems like a good thing, so you know it's a good lie. You can run out of choices and still hear a voice in your head when you're lying in bed, and it says that the best part of a bad day is knowing it's okay. The color of everything changes, the sky rearranges its shade, and your smile doesn't fade into a phone call and one bad decision we made. And the worst part of a good day is the one thing you don't say, and you don't know how, but you wish there was some way, so you pull down the shades and you shut out the light, because somehow we mixed up goodbye and good night. And I heard mm-hmm. that line, and I was like, fuck. <laughs> And I was like, oh, my God. It was like he was writing something from my life when I was like 17 years old. Uh I was like, I have been there. I have had that stupid thing where you're talking to a girl. And why did you say goodbye when you just said – like if you said goodnight, then – you're not breaking up over the stupid three letters that you're, that are wrong about this word and and like oh just some the the integrity of that moment in this lyrics it, I am I, like I am pissed off that somebody else wrote this song mm-hmm. and not me because of how much I love that beat um so yes from never hearing the song to hearing it the first time and I'm like I think this is my favorite Counting Crows song uh, and I'm I'm sure that's why you were so desperate to talk about this one too but <laughs> what do you think am I crazy it, it is it's it's in my top three favorite Counting Crow songs ever I think it's the best breakup song ever written. I, mm. I think the, you you said that there's a purity to it. And the, the lines you quoted are literally the lines I've written in my notes. That moment where he says, somehow we mixed up goodbye and goodnight. And the way he sings it is just... He's like voice is cracking. Oh, voice cracks. It's heartbreaking because you know he's pulling from personal experience. And the, the entire setup of that song is like, there are good days and there are bad days. And like the, the worst part of a good day is, you know, it'll end. And the best part of a bad day is, is you know, and he, he's kind of doing this dichotomy through this whole song while he's describing the relationship. And then after that, that series of lyrics you read, he says, but we know possibility days are impossible. He's like that. The whole the whole paradigm I just built for you is not is broken. He's it just feels wrong because you're gone and you're, you're left with that. And you're like. Oh my God. Like it is, it is an, an emotional gut punch. Mm-hmm. Um, there, the way he sings it, it's really unfiltered. It's very raw, which is beautiful. And then there's just these really great little throwaway moments. And this is the thing I love about Duritz as a songwriter. He's saying to her, you know, like, he's like, I go, I go West, but your weather has changed. Um, you're different. I mistake it for strange. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay, this is really cool. And, and he's talking about how like you're you're afraid that I'll I'm afraid you'll leave. I'm afraid you'll stay. And he says, I've got to get out of L.A. And there's this beat. And you think, okay, they're going to go into another verse. And he just very softly says, and we only saw half the ballet. 
And you're like, oh, you know that's a true story. Like, yeah. you know <laughs> they had some kind of fight at intermission of some ballet and like the relationship ended and he flew out or she flew out. And it's that – it's those details, like the the way he paints those pictures sometimes that just kill. And that – yeah. And, and I have to say too, one, it's just the most beautiful song and it is very rapidly became one of my favorite songs by them. But two – it was so renewing for me because again, this is my favorite band and I've been listening to them forever and I'm super invested in their work. And when this album came out, you know, again, there was that fear of like, okay, what are we going to get here? Is this, you know, a band past its prime or is this going to be the fall off album or what? And I loved Palisades Park and there's some other songs on there that are in that same kind of different vein. I'm like, oh, I'm good with this. I'm good with this. But by this point in the album, I'm like, oh, I'm a little bit missing kind of counting crows counting and then they hit you with this song and you're like oh they're not only are they still there they're like at the top of their game because this is a song i don't think he could have written on august and everything after so it's just yeah it's a, such a gut punch and um it cracked me up when i saw it on your list because i'm like i'm pretty sure that was on my list <laughs> and then when we were talking and you're like no that really quickly became like my favorite song i was like oh that's awesome so yeah that's that's great that's a it's a beautiful song yeah um, and the next song that I am really glad that you put on your list, because I don't know if it was on your first list, but this one would have been my sixth pick. Uh, if we had gone one song more, I would have had this song. So what is the next one that you want to talk about? So my final selection is, and I, I talked about this, my first selection was Round Here, and I said I thought it was the perfect bookend song for Counting Crows, and this is the other one. So this is also from August and Everything After, and it's Rain King. When I think of heaven Never me in a black wing bird I think of flying Down in your sea of pins and feathers And all of the instruments of faith and sex And God in the belly of a black wing bird So try to feed me Cause I've been here before And I deserve a little Now, the reason I think this is a quintessential Counting Crow song is because this is their kind of rockabilly country rock side. Like, Round Here is all deep, dark emotion and poetry, and it's beautiful, and it captures all the stuff like Possibility Days captures. It's just – it's Duritz as, again, my Dylan. And then Rain King is them as like more up-tempo, f- some fun, but also some really powerful lyrics and writing. And them as musicians, like the musicianship in the song is really excellent, and I really love that. And then the other thing I really love about this song is, like Round Here, this is the other song they most frequently do mashups with in, in live. And my favorite mashup from them. So they do a they do a countryer version of this live. And so if any of you listening, you've heard the song off the August and Everything After, but then they did a VH1 Storytellers live album a few years later. And they do a really sort of stripped down acoustic not acoustic, but a stripped down version with like a steel guitar. Oh yeah. 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 And it's very sort of country rock. Um, and it's, I, it's a much, it's a really beautiful version of it and it allows them to, to like drop the beat at one moment and bring another song in. So at one point, you know, he's singing 
And he's like, you know, when I think of heaven, when I think of heaven and he trails off and he's like the screen door slams and Mary and he all of a sudden he just breaks into Thunder Road <laughs> like Springsteen and they keep the music the same. They're still playing Rain King, but he's singing Thunder Road to it. And it's really cool because I, and there's other songs they'll bring into it, but I've, I've I've been able to see them when they do Thunder Road, and I love Bruce Springsteen, and I love that. Sure, yeah, 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 of course. Well, and I love that era of Bruce, Bruce Springsteen, yeah. which is probably why I love Adam Duritz's writing. It's very similar, right? That storytelling aspect, and so they do this really cool version. I've seen them when they've done all of Thunder Road, and then they kick back to to rain King and it works perfectly. And it's just a, it's an amazing song. And, and I just think it's, it encapsulates them as a band because it, to me, and I don't, you know, I think the lyrics are, are definitely up to interpretation on this song. One, it's inspired by Henderson, the rain King by Saul Bellow. And if you were an English major, like I was, you had to read Saul Bellow in college at some point. And I happened to read Henderson, the rain King. And it's a really interesting novel about a kind of dour guy who goes off on a personal journey and, becomes literally the brain king to a tribe. Um, and so I love that reference in it. And I totally jammed. I was like, oh, I totally get this. I read that book. And then I, I think the song is really about the the blending of sort of creativity, love, and kind of sex and passion and all of those emotions in one. And and he brings them all together. Like he even says, like, um, it's basically like, like sex and faith and God in the belly of a black winged bird. And that's like, oh, okay, this is like the cauldron, right? The cauldron he's working with at that age, like yeah. to, to bring all his creativity together. And I think it's really cool. And I always like it as a statement too, because he follows it up by saying like, don't try to bleed me because I've been here before and I deserve a little more. And I love that. I like that idea because this is their first album. I like the cockiness there of like, hey, like this may be our first album, but like we've been around for about 10 years at this point. And we're going to be around. And I, I don't know, it's kind of their, I think, part of their ethos. And so I love this song. And and it's probably, you know, one of their bigger hits from that album. Um, I heard it when I worked at a grocery store. Yeah. <laughs> and that always cracked me up. I was like, oh, okay. I love this band. I love this song. And I'm hearing this at a grocery store. Uh, what about you? So you said this would have been one of your picks as well? Yeah, I, I like this song. And then for a while, I had forgotten about it. And then I guess it was probably about 10 years later or in the in the mid-2000s. Um, this song was used in an episode of Scrubs, actually, which is what put it oh. back on my radar, um, uh, just as a sort of like uh, the like the ending montage of an episode or something. This song kind of like came in as like the outro outro tune, um, and I was like, oh yeah, I really like that song. So I this was another one that before I before I got the the greatest hits album, I downloaded, um, and uh, this song would be like in in pretty heavy rotation. Uh, I would just like listen to a lot, and then. Um, yeah, this was just always one of kind of like my, my preferred jams of theirs that I, I, I liked, liked the song. Uh, it's, yeah, I, I, this would be my second favorite song from August, uh, obviously after Omaha. Um, and yeah, this would have been, this would have been on my list if I hadn't stolen the last one. From you. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm glad that you had this one on there too. Well, and, and I, it's funny. So I was saying I heard this in a grocery store and I just remembered why I heard it in a grocery store. So when I was uh, in uh, college, I worked as a pharmacy tech to pay my way through school. And it was a, a pharmacy in a grocery store. And, and there was one aisle in the store where the speaker was mounted in a weird place. It was kind of pointed down. So if the music was on too loud, the, there was a spot where the music would just come right at you. And people were always kind of caught off guard by it because it would get really loud all of a sudden. And so I had a friend who worked there too. Uh, he didn't work in the pharmacy, but he was kind of a screw up. Um, and I love him, but he was kind of a screw up. 
and he would wait for somebody where he worked. He had a beeline right down the aisle and he would wait for somebody to get right to near that spot. And, and he, and rain King would be on. And at the end of rain King, Adam Durds goes like, yeah, and he would <laughs> jack the volume. <laughs> and we had a running bet on how much stuff the person would drop or if they would like freak out and let that go of their card. If they would yeah. run into the camp. Oh, oh my God. God. It was the best. It was like, it was like our version of bowling. It was the best <laughs> thing. <ever. laughs> so, you know, the song had other purposes too. Nice. nice. <laughs> All right. Well, for my last uh, proper selection, uh, we're going back to the album Hard Candy, uh, and the uh, the song is Holiday in Spain. Got no place to go, but there's a girl waiting for me down in Mexico. She got a bottle of tequila, a bottle of gin, and if I bring a little music, I could fit right in. We got airplane rides, we got California drowning out the window side. We got big black cars and we got stories how we slept with all the movie stars. I may take a holiday in Spain, leave my wings behind me, drink my worries down the drain, and fly away to somewhere new. Uh, as I mentioned with another one, the first time that I heard this song was on the greatest hits, the films about ghosts. Um, and it instantly, I, I think it became my favorite song, my favorite kind of crow song. I mean, it was up there with Mrs. Potter's lullaby until I heard possibility days. So those three, depending on my mood are vying for, uh, for my lover, which, <laughs> which one is my favorite. Um, and, yeah, there's just there's something about this song. It, melodically, it's it's a it's a very sweet, very pretty song. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love it. It's it's kind of a there's a simplicity to it that I like. In fact, like uh, when my kid was born, I memorized these lyrics and I would sing it to him just to help him go to sleep at night. Um, I, I love the line when it gets towards like the third verse. He's someone stole my shoes, but there's a couple of bananas and a bottle of booze. Something about that just brings a smile to my face. Um, it, it was similar to hanging around and other things like this is a song that's, it's the morning after mm-hmm. it's a, a song sort of, or at least for that one, it's, it's the hangover period. It's the sort of wasted life by, by drugs and partying, this sort of rock star life and a need for escape. You know, this, this holiday in Spain isn't so much a romantic getaway is it is a kind of perhaps a little bit desperate getaway just to sort of survive in, in the lifestyle that you live. Um, taking, taking the girl with you who, is this relationship entirely healthy? I'm not sure. He <laughs> talks about driving her crazy. So there's it's it's a it's a sweet and kind of poignant sounding song, but there's definitely a darkness underlying it when you look at the lyrics and what could be the message to this song. Um, that that seems like it's more about without without even getting to all of the negative consequences. It definitely seems like addiction or at least substance abuse could be more problematic than he lets on in something like a hanging around type of song. Yeah, I I think you nailed it. This is the morning after song, but like the morning after, you know, like pretty epic. Like, like I, I remember my notes, I wrote like wreck everything, drink everything, screw everything (laughs) and leave before you have to clean up. Like it's, it's that, but it's, but it's unlike say like an ACDC version of this. Yeah. It doesn't celebrate that. 
it's it's just it just kind of lays it out like yeah you know like you said like a couple of bananas and a bottle of booze and he says and i love it he goes he goes you know happy new year's baby we could probably fix it if we clean it up all day or we could pack our bags and take a plane to barcelona because this city's a drag and it's really cool because you think he's talking about you know on the micro scale like there's this big party they had and they're just trashed everything and they're leaving before they have to clean up but also this relationship is trash. Like you said, he says, like, drive this little girl insane, fly away to someone new. Mm-hmm. And that's where one word makes all the difference because he doesn't say fly away to somewhere new. He says fly away to someone new. So it's like that relationship's also wrecked. So I'm just going to fly away from it like I did the party. And then, you know, on the macro scale, it's kind of his life as well. And, and you're right. It's, it's a funny contrast because it's such a pretty song. It's sung, you know, really prettily in the, the music. It's just this kind of piano. Um, it's very almost like a lullaby in some ways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's funny because I was um, – and you'll relate to this. Um, when you have a kid, there are some nights where you are like up and you don't have the energy to be up and you have to be somewhere the next day. But it doesn't matter. Your kid needs you up and you're up, right? Like, you know, the kid has a fever and they're like sleeping on you or something. Mm-hmm. And my daughter one night was sick and – you know, so I was sitting in a chair and she was laying on me and, and she was, you know, I was trying to get her to sleep. And I, you know, at one point she's asleep, but I kind of couldn't get up because she would wake up and you're in that weird space. Right. So I was just messing around on YouTube and I had earbuds in and I was messing around on YouTube, like just trying to find anything to keep me awake and, and sane. And there's a, a Dutch band called both. I, yep. I have and, this in my notes too. Oh, yep. that's, that's so funny. Yeah. And, and I've never heard of them. And you know, like I'm not into Dutch pop, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know that that's permeated like K-pop, but, um, you know, I, I just, I'd never heard of them and they do a version of holiday in Spain and it's all in, you know, Dutch. And yet I could sing every word of it. Mm-hmm. And it's such a pretty song that even their version is really lovely. And so I think that's the power of this song that you can listen to it in another language and be like, oh, that's still really pretty. <laughs> they actually they recorded it as a duet oh, um, really? with both bands. Uh, and you can definitely you can find a version of them performing it live on YouTube. I watched it last night. Um, uh, the guy, the lead singer of this Blof, or or however it's pronounced. Oh, it name. is Blof. Yeah, I think there's an L in there. <laughs> uh, he's got a great voice. I, I, yes. I mean, I think technically his voice is better than Adam Duritz's. Except he's not he's not singing English. Um, but yeah, it sounds great, and and it, it leads with him doing the first verse, and then Duritz comes in for the second verse, and then they kind of share the third one. Oh. Um, yeah, it's it's really really good. Um, and the, the one. One thing, I did, as I was, of course, I watched that video on YouTube last night, and I just remember seeing like a YouTube comment from somebody who was just like, "I miss the days when music was good," and that comment was left like four years ago. So ah. like, that was 2016. The song was like 10 years old at that point. And I yeah, was like, that's funny. And I, you know that their version taught me that flagon means bottle because they they they, they, <laughs> yeah. they take a flagon of tequila, flagon of gin. I'm like, well, I know one word in Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the brand names and things like that, they, they still sing in, in English, but yeah. Um, well, awesome. I, I, those are our official songs that we made on our lists. Um, and then, as I was telling you before we were recording, we got to the end of this and I was like, something is missing. And I, I kind of yeah. feel like we, we do need to talk about the song Along December because – I, I don't I, I haven't actually looked at their charts but for me that has always been their biggest song I don't know if it yeah. is their their like best selling or, or most popular single but it's always felt like that to me like if I was going to attribute one song to Counting Crows it's a long December a long December and there's reason to believe 
I love that song. I mean, I like just the, the first, the piano, the, the notes that he plays are so distinctive that if you started playing that, I would know from the, like the second note exactly what song it is. And it's another really haunting, you know, just lyrically beautiful song. Um, you know, I mean, the, the opening lyrics, like, you know, it's a long December and there's reason to believe that maybe this year will be better than the last. And like, holy crap, is this a good time for that song? <laughs> like, you know, like I get, I was thinking that in 2016, 2017, 2018, you know, like I've been thinking that for quite a while. Um, and it, yeah, it's, it's an, it's just a haunting, a really hauntingly beautiful song. And it's, there's, you know, there's little moments of hope in it. Like he, you know, he keeps saying like, if you think you might come to California, I wish you would. And it's like, I think you should. And you know, who the, the person he's singing to, you know, kind of longing for them. And I, I think it is one of their more melodic songs, one of their more beautiful songs. I actually, it's funny. I didn't realize until you pointed it out that neither of us had really picked it and that it is unusual. And, and for me, it's not because this is a band, like a band I've followed, you know, really closely for a long time. I don't identify them necessarily by singles. And so I forget sometimes that like for a lot of people, that might be where they dropped out of the consciousness. Like for a lot of people, they remember Mr. Jones and, and Long December and like that's all they could name from this band. Yeah. And so, you know, I think you're right. I think it is probably their definitive song. And if there's look, if they're gonna have a definitive song, I'm glad it's that one because it's really simple. It showcases his lyrics, his voice. Um, which is, I think, is awesome. Is it a is it a song that you loved even when it came out? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when when I and God, I I'm trying to think. For some reason, I don't remember. I because I listened to the album, so I knew Rain King. For some reason, I don't remember Rain King as a single. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely so for some reason I remember this being like the third one after Round Here or something. But my that memory could be faulty. But I definitely I remember liking this one a lot at the time and and really enjoying the song, thinking it was good. Um, and in particular, like the, the the standout part of the song that always was um always hit me was when he sings "Drove up to Hillside Manor sometime after two a.m. and talked a little while about the year." I guess the winner makes you laugh a little slower and makes you talk a little lower about the things that you could not show her. I do, and I I don't know why this is, but I do have a distinct memory of sitting with a girlfriend, not not dating girlfriend, but a girlfriend, um, kind of playing catch-up. We were at a diner called The Junction in, in DeKalb, Illinois, sitting across the table with this song playing on. And like thinking like as that song was kind of describing what we were doing, we were kind of catching up and and talking about stuff that was going on, not the best stuff in our lives, painful stuff, and, and kind of playing catch up. And when he sings that, I guess the winner makes you talk a little slower, makes you laugh a little lower, um, and just yeah, it was um, 
Or sorry, I got, I got those wrong. I got those long lines inverted. Uh, the winner makes you laugh a little slower and makes you talk a little lower and just feeling like it was kind of being very too much in that moment when the song was yeah. playing and kind of being like, oh, that's kind of what we're doing here. Um, and we kind of smiled at each other because I think she, she was thinking the exact same thing as we listened to it. <laughs> it is one of those songs. That, and this is the thing I think that, again, one of the reasons they've resonated with me and one of the reasons I think they've resonated with their fans is because they do such a good job of, of, of fixing you in a time and place in their music. And, and yeah. this is why I think the Dylan comparison is really apt. They do a really good job of it's those little details, you know, that those little moments that, you know, that, that, that exact line, right? Like, you know, talk a little lower about the things you could not show her is such a good line. And it's but it's so simple. But it's and it that song feels like a winter song to me. Mm-hmm. Like I do listen to that song um, in December. Like I, I think I heard your brother one time. I think talking about a winter playlist, and he mentioned "Winter Song" by uh, uh, Nicole Boreas, um, yep. which is another hauntingly Sarah Bareilles. Song. Uh, Sarah, yeah. Sarah Bareilles, sorry. Um, and yeah, and this is another song for me that's like a song that you listen to when you're cold, you know. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and I think that's that's the beauty. That's the kind of the greatness that they captured. And that, you know, for many people, you know, over the years, they've fallen away. But one of the reasons I've stayed is because they've never lost that greatness. I mean, the same band who writes, you know, um, you know, old man, if you're going to walk, you know, uh, don't you know, you'll walk all over me in Omaha, writes, you know, laugh a little lower, talk, you know, in in the things you could not show her and then writes, you know, turn off the shade, shut off the light because somehow we mixed up goodbye Goodbye, and goodnight. Like, that is. Yeah, like if I could write one of those lines or songs in my life, <laughs> yeah. I would be like, yes. Like he is this- he is phenomenally gifted at capturing those human experiences, um, and the the phraseology with which he's able to capture them is very natural and mm-hmm. and heartfelt, um, and also poetic. So it's yeah, that is a gift of a songwriter. Yeah. And that's one. And one of the other things I love about them, which probably people don't know, but I think deserves a little attention is they're effectively the same lineup that they've been from day one. They've had some people drop in and drop back out. But if you read interviews with them, it's because of life stuff. It wasn't like, oh, we kicked this person out of the band and they actually split royalties on their songs evenly from day one. Um, Because even though Adam Duritz writes all the lyrics, he said he's like, that's what breaks bands up. And I don't want to break up. I love this band. And so it's really cool because like I saw that band in the 90s and I've seen them somewhat recently. And it's kind of the same dudes on stage, mm. right? Like like same guys, you know, dad bods and everything. <laughs> you know, they look a little, we all look a little different than we did at our fir- that first show. But I think that's really cool too. And I think it's also one of the secrets of their success is that they never had that real dip, you know, the way some bands did. And and so it's allowed them to sort of survive some of the other stuff, which I think is really cool. So I was excited that we got to talk about them. Yeah. Cool. Me too. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I am glad for this. Uh, Sean, thank you very much for coming back. Um, nothing about this recording, you know, ruined our relationship yet. So I'm sure I'll have a third <laughs> occasion to have you on at some point. Um, Pass the test. <laughs> yeah, I, I, until your inevitable third appearance on Fire and Water Records, where else can people find you on the podcastosphere? 
so when I'm not talking about Counting Crows on this episode, <laughs> when I'm not obsessing over a band, uh, I'm on the Pulp to Pixel podcast network where uh, my buddy Dr. G and I do a couple shows, Marvel Superheroes Secret Wars and Beyond, where we cover every issue of every Marvel Superheroes Secret Wars miniseries. And we've covered volume one, which is awesome. Volume two was, you know, stinky poop, but the shows were fun. And now we're at volume <laughs> three, which I think is the greatest crossover in Marvel history. Uh, we have a Welcome to Astro City where we talk about Kurt Busiek and Brent Anderson's Astro City. And then we have What If Cast where we talk about issues of What If. So it's totally not related to anything we've talked about today. It's fully comic book driven. But uh, I really – I can't tell you how much I appreciate the chance to to come on. One, I love this show. And two, you know, to talk about my favorite band. My wife was laughing at me because I spent like a lot of time prepping for this. And she's like, haven't you been spending the last 20, like, <laughs> seven years prepping for this? And I was like, shut up. I get to listen to my favorite band. And I get to just, like, you know, emo out for a little while. It's all good. <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. Well, uh, I, I hope the listeners enjoyed this one. And I hope uh, it, it causes them to go out and buy some more albums or download some more songs. Because I, I think we gave them a taste of some really good stuff. If nothing else, we gave them a hint of your personal madness. Yeah, no kidding. And I'm telling you, if Fire and Water wants Durrett's cast, <laughs> I, I need to be the first call. <laughs> uh, that, that that name alone, you know, sells it. <laughs> yeah, so. Oh, yeah, exactly. Right, just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> <laughs> For everybody who likes a white guy with dreads, <laughs> if you want to... <laughs> All right, folks. Fire and Water Records is a proud part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Feedback for the show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com, as well as Facebook and Twitter. Fire and Water Records is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you enjoy the show, please head over there and leave us nice five-star reviews. Every review helps push this podcast to a wider and wider audience. Special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on how you can support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. All music clips and quoted lyrics are used for entertainment purposes, and no copyright infringement is intended. Thank you for listening. We draw out to the desert just to lie down beneath this bowl of stars. Stand up in the palace like it's the last of the great pioneer town bars.